Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking Witchcraft. Today is a special edition episode. We're going to be talking about Mabon, which we're going to we're going to have some words on this. <laughs> uh, and why Mabon is not actually what you think it is. So to talk about this, I have on somebody who's been on the show before. I have Seamus. So welcome back, Seamus. Thanks so much for having me. We're going from the gaze to scholarship, which I love. <laughs> do you want to, so for people who haven't listened to your previous episode, do you want to give a quick introduction about yourself? My name is Seamus. I run a coven in West Hollywood uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, I dislike bad scholarship. Cool. Well, that sounds good to me. So Seamus is ridiculously knowledgeable on this topic. He has a lot of words about this. If you're part of the Witches Seeking Witchcraft Facebook group, this Sabbath has been a hell of a topic of people talking about it on there. And you've probably seen Seamus talking about his opinion on there. Accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Seamus, do you want to just go ahead and jump right in and start us off? Yeah. Uh, so I want to posit this. Like The first thing I want to say is that I'm not the most knowledgeable person on the planet about this. I just know enough. And all you need is to just know enough. That's all anybody needs. And you should always be open to learning more about basically any topic within witchcraft, because why would you want to know more about exactly what you're doing, right? Um, so the first thing that I did uh, when I wanted to really understand this topic um, was, I mean, there were several things, right? But one of the most recent things that I did, sorry, is I actually talked to a friend in Wales. And I was like, how do you pronounce this like ridiculously Welsh name? And he told me, and it's Mabon. So for literally the first time in my speaking career, and I will fully cop to this because I'm also an American, I'm going to refer to it as Mabon, right? Um, and we're in America, we don't speak Welsh, we don't speak Irish, we barely speak English, we speak American, right? So we're just gonna acknowledge that people will have American pronunciations and American ways of saying things, um, and that's fine. But when we get into the meat and potatoes of it, Mabon is garbage, and here's why. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, one article that I recommend the most, because I feel like it's the most clear, concise, um, and, you know, just pithy way of describing exactly how all this happens, is an article that is posted online. Um, I believe it originated as a, well, this, what I'm referring to originated as a Facebook post, but it is actually an excerpt from a book called Autumn Equinox by Anna Franklin published by Lear Books, and they took an excerpt of it and put it on their Facebook page. And it, the name of the article is Don't Call Me Maven. Sorry, Don't Call Me Mabon, right? Uh, <laughs> and so if you just Google Don't Call Me Mabon, you will literally find this article and it's 100% worth reading. And I'm literally going to read from it to you right now because it's the best summation of it that I've heard thus far, right? So what Anna Franklin says, um, she says the name Mabon is a term for the neo-pagan festival of the autumnal equinox, along with the Saxon term Letha for the summer solstice, was introduced in 1973 by the American witch and writer Aidan Kelly. He was born in 1940. His blog for the 21st of September in 2012 explains, and these are his words, Back in 1973, I was putting together a pagan craft calendar, the first of its kind, as far as I know, listing the holidays, astrological aspects, and other stuff of interest to pagans. 
It offended my aesthetic sensibilities that there seemed to be no pagan names for the summer solstice or the fall equinox equivalent to Ostara or Beltane, so I decided to supply them. So literally what you're learning here is that the names Mabon and Ostara are literally coming up because the lack, because it offended somebody's aesthetic sensibilities that they were just being called the equinoxes. That's it. That's why these names exist. So he continues and he says, I began wondering if there had been a myth similar to that of Kor or Kore in a Celtic culture. Kore being, I think, the Roman name for Persephone, right? There was nothing very similar in the Gaelic literature, but there was in the Welsh, in the Mabinogian collection, the story of Mabon ab Modron, which translates to son of the mother, just as Kore simply meant girl, whom Gwydion rescues from the underworld, much as Theseus rescued Helen. That's why I picked Mabon as a name for the holiday. So if we stop there, we realize that Aidan Kelly's thought process was at the time, I'm associating the season of fall, the season of the autumn, with the story of Persephone known as Kore, right? And I don't even know if I'm saying Kore right before, I have no idea. But basically- You are, like, that's how you say it. So, so he's like, he's basically like, if, if there's a descent myth, it has to do with the fall. Because in the autumn, Kore went into the underworld, right? Hades, um, or Pluto in that pantheon. And that's why we have the autumn because the earth goddess mother, Demeter, is like, you know, weeping for her lost child and she refuses to bear fruit. Right, so he's he's basically saying that any descent myth now suddenly is associated with autumn, just because Corey's descent myth was associated with autumn, which is like fallacy number one in this process, right? So then, when we look at it, when we want to see why the name of Mabon for the autumn equinox is an appropriate one, we need to examine the actual tale of Mabon, right? So when we look at the literary sources, there's a character called Mabon found in he's a minor character, right, found in the Mabinogian, and I'm, I'm literally quoting from this article. The Mabinogian is a collection of 11 or sometimes 12 Welsh prose tales from the Middle Ages. This figure is called Mabon at Modron, meaning son of the mother, which has led to speculation that his mother, Modron, may be kind of cognate or similar to the Gaulish mother goddess Matrona, right? And like the crappy thing about the Gauls and the Celts is that a lot of what we have written down about them either comes from extremely Christianized sources later on in time, or it comes from the time when the Romans encountered them, because these are all kind of Celtic tribes. Um, and the Celts didn't really write anything down. So the Romans recorded whatever they had about them. And that's where a lot of this comes from, right? So the Mabinogian is a collection of medieval Welsh stories, which would have been recorded by Christian monks. They don't seem to have been very widely known until they were translated into English in 1849 by Lady Charlotte Guest. Basically, no one in the English-speaking world knows about them until about 1849. So this whole idea that Mabin Laban is this ancient festival is completely untrue. Right, or at least the idea that that name is associated with that festival is totally untrue. That name is associated with that festival in 1973. So the next task is to look for Mabon at Modron, who was in, in, in this literature, right? And so his story is that he was imprisoned in a watery Gloucester dungeon, Gloucester dungeon, I don't know how they say that word. Arthur's cousin Mabon has been taken from, taken from his mother Modron when he was only three nights old and no one knew whether he was alive or dead. Right. So a bunch of the story goes on and a bunch of people are looking for him because they have to fulfill this like crazy tasks that are basically impossible. And they go from one animal to the other, to the other, to the other. And it leads them to the great salmon, whose name is extremely Welsh and I can't pronounce. It's something like Lin Louis. Right. So, this. <laughs> so the salmon of wisdom, the great salmon of wisdom, recalled hearing of Mabon and told them that as he swam daily by the wall of Care, and I cannot pronounce this word, Care Loyo, he heard a constant lamentation. 
So the, the salmon took two of these dudes upon his back to the castle, and they heard Maban's cries bewailing his fate, right? Maban could not be ransomed, so seeing that force was the only answer, the knights fetched Arthur and his warband to attack the castle. Riding on the salmon's back, Kai broke through the wall and collected Maban, both fleeing on the back of the salmon. So freeing this guy is basically impossible because it was like this whole like riddle and all this other stuff. So they basically get this guy back, which is great because he's Arthur's cousin. Right? So then you fast forward a little bit. So Mabon is named as one of the three exalted prisoners of the island of Britain, stolen when he was only three days old from between his mother's side and the wall in one translation. So let us suppose, is what Anna Franklin writes, let us suppose for a moment that the god Maponis and the literary hero Mabon are one and the same. We must remember that all the evidence points to Maponis being the young sun god, his youth meaning that he would represent the morning sun or the sun newly reborn after the winter solstice. And these are two different names for like the same term, meaning the sun, right? And so you, when you have a divine uh, person who's playing the role of the sun or the son of the mother, right? You, there are different terms, different titles, whatever, but Maponis and Mabon are basically cognates here, right? So he's a young sun god, his youth meaning that he would represent the morning sun or the, the sun newly reborn after the winter solstice. His theft from his mother after three days would make sense in this life. The three days being the three days that the sun stands still at the winter solstice. So his literally his whole myth, everything about his birth and his theft and what he represents is all about the winter solstice. So the idea that his name is being taken for the autumn equinox is a little bananas. By a little bananas, I mean it's a full Donkey Kong video game. Just a lot of bananas, right? And so it continues, or she goes on to say that the imprisonment of the young god underground equates to the sun in the underworld before he's released to begin his new reign as the sun god. Maban is said to be imprisoned inside a tower in Gloucester from which he is freed by these two other people in this tale in order to go hunt a third thing that I cannot pronounce, right? Turge Tuit. The missing sun or the imprisoned sun is a premise found in the solar myths of many cultures to explain the night of the shorter days of winter, especially those around the three days of the winter solstice, right? Such tales often include themes of captivity or the theft of the sun. In other words, the god or object that represents it. And it's rescued by a band of heroes such as Jason and the Argonauts rescuing the golden fleece, which represents the sun from the dragon or the Lithuanian sun goddess, Saul, who was held in a tower by powerful kings rescued by the Zodiac using a giant sledgehammer or the Japanese sun goddess Amaterasu hiding in a cave, right? So here we have the, the actual myth. You can literally Google, just go ahead and Google the Mabinogian. It sounds vaguely how, uh, it's spelled vaguely how it sounds. And you can look for Mabon in the Mabinogian and you can read his tale and you can come to your own conclusion about whether or not this deity, hero, mythological figure, however you want to classify him, has literally anything to do with the autumn equinox. And the only reason why he was ascribed to the autumn equinox by Aidan Kelly, who is this guy in 1973, is because it offended Aidan Kelly's sensibilities that these equinoxes didn't have their own name. He basically just wanted them to have their own name, right? And so what he did was he was like, well, I want Persephone to be it, but this is a Celtic tradition, or this is an English tradition, or this is a British tradition. So I need a British version of Persephone. And he's like, oh, here's another child who got stolen away from its mother. Let's make that the fall, which is nonsense because you can't just conflate cultures. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, especially if you look into what Mabon actually represents, or Mabon, excuse me. That's right, girl. <laughs>
<laughs> Mabon. Uh, it's about like the it's a harvest festival. It's it happens right before Samhain, where the god dies. <laughs> right. This this is this has nothing to do with what the original story is about whatsoever. Correct. And Aiden Kelly had such an influence on this that you almost nobody knows that Mabon is actually not the real name of it. And so when I made my episode with Allison about uh, the different Sabbaths, including Mabon, Mabon, whatever you want to call it, even though it's Mabon, even though that's not we're true. We're American. We're allowed to mispronounce whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we we're mispronouncing it, but it's fine. You know, I, I see a lot of people online talking about how you know, well, oh, Ashley called it Mabon, so like that's that's what it is. Uh, I got a lot of information from Seamus <laughs> uh, after that episode about why that was not the, the case. So that's why we're doing this one. Um, but, you know, I, I went back and I listened to that episode to see what I had said. And I, I put it out there pretty quickly how there was a lot of controversy around this and how really it should be referred to as the autumn equinox. And I said this in that episode, I'm going to restate it now. If you're wondering what the difference is between a solstice and an equinox or an equinox, an equinox is when the day and the night are the same amount of time. So 12 hours daylight, 12 hours nighttime, and the solstice is um, the opposite. So the winter solstice, that means that the night is the longest. The summer solstice, that means that the day is the longest. Just quick, quickly putting that out there. Uh, so yeah, Mabon is not what people generally think it is, the actual phrase itself. So if you take anything from this episode, I would just please ask you to stop saying Mabon. Please let people know this is not actually the correct phrasing of it. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I'll, I tell people on this podcast all the time, you can do whatever you want. You can practice however you want. But when it comes to Mabon, it's just incorrect. <laughs> it's just not right. It's not the correct phrasing of it. Totally. So Please call the autumn equinox. Just please call. Let me interject here in favor of personal rights and personal liberties, right? Go for it. <laughs> I think that anyone who uses the term Mabon for the autumn equinox is displaying ignorance, right? Oof. I was told Oof. something. I saw something online. I heard something somewhere. I believed it whole cloth and I'm going to repeat it in mixed company. And so what you're doing when you say that word for this holiday is you are letting everyone around you know, anyone who knows, that you don't necessarily, A, you either don't know what you're talking about, or you think you know what you're talking about, but you don't know enough, or you don't know the full story, right? And that's fine. You can literally be like, like, you can't fault people for not knowing, right? You can't be angry at people for not knowing. What I take issue with is when you explain it to them and you're like, oh, hey, girl, heads up. Here's what's up with that. And they're all like, no, fuck you. Can I swear on this? Are you allowed to swear? Uh, absolutely. Okay, good. So when they're like, no, fuck you, it's, it's Maven. I saw it in a calendar. I saw it in a magazine. I saw it in whatever. You can be like, okay, now that you're doubling down on that ignorance, now everything is fair game, right? So like these people just become an example. If you hear all of this and you research the term and you look at the mythology and you see where it comes from and you figure out where it entered the craft and you figure out why, randomly, there was a confluence of events where one person ended up being in a spot to, to put this out there in a way where like nobody knew and then it just spread from there. If you want to just accept that wholesale and roll with it and think that that's legit, go ahead, do it. You are allowed to, but you're going to have to be ready to fucking defend that shit and to explain that shit and to say, I just don't care. If someone just doesn't care, cool. That's fair and you have that right. But whenever I hear a lot of people talking about witchcraft and they're saying that they don't care that much, it makes some assumptions, right? 
And I get it. Some people feel the cat's out of the bag. It's already been tainted. It's irredeemable. It's too late, right? Case in point, the blue moon is not the second full moon in one month. That was an, that was an accidental misprint. That was literally a, like a fib, a, a falsehood that was printed in like a farmer's almanac way back in the day, and it became popular concept. So language does change over time based on its popular use, right? Now, thanks to the Kardashians, the word literally also means figuratively and all language no longer has meaning. Cheers, have fun with that, <laughs> right? So like people think that the second full moon in one month is a blue moon when really the blue moon is the third full moon in a quarter that has four full moons. But then it's like, what, like who, who are you gonna side with? Which one are you gonna choose, right? Are you gonna go with the most original, the oldest? Are you just gonna impede progress? Is that progress? This is not progress. This is not progress, right? And so I feel like if you're gonna use the term, you should be educated on it. You should recognize what it is and you should let people know. And then if they already know, if I say, hey, Maban is not actually the name of that holiday, Maban's mythology has to do with the winter solstice. And somebody goes, yeah, I know, I've seen it, I've read it, I don't care. I'll be like, peace. But the fact is that m the vast majority of people who are using this term have no idea why they're using this term. And that's what's important to put out here. And this also ties into Litha or Litha too, which was briefly mentioned at the beginning, but. <laughs> yeah, but at least, at least in that case, like he pulled from something that had like some tangential like relation to the truth, right? Like Litha was the name for, I think like June and July in, in either Gaelic or like some Celtic language, right? So it's like, all right, you want to take the name for the month that the actual holiday occurs in, or even the month next to it, cheers, let's get a little loosier, but it still means summer. Right. So like fair, that one at least has a little like cognition behind it and not just grasping at straws. But Mabon is a is a is a mood and it's not a good one. Yeah. So now everybody knows. And I hope that you can take this information and spread it. And, you, you know, you don't need to be able to or you don't have to be able to recite every single thing that Seamus just said, that entire story. All you have to just take from this is that some guy somewhere was like, you know what, I want this to have a name this is a cool story. Let me take this name and throw it on here. Oh my God, girl. But do you want to get into it? Do you want the real tea? Uh, yes, please, do you want please the share the real tea. actual honest to God's tea? My cup is ready to be filled. And here, now here is the point where I am going to freely admit, <laughs> I'm going to freely admit, I feel, I feel like the discussion that we have just had, the conversation that we have just had, the facts that we have laid out, the statements all stand on their own. I think that they make more than enough case to not use the term Mabon for the autumn equinox. I think that up until this point, everyone has more than enough information and that that is enough. And now we're going to get into a little bit of, I forget exactly what the correct psychological term would be, but you know, displacing of negative emotions, right? And I'm not even going to call this an ad hominem attack because it's all facts. Right? It's not an attack on a person, it's an attack on the facts and what somebody physically, what somebody actually did. And we have to, we, we you have to have the conversation about who the person is that decided to name these holidays, what they did, what their role in the craft was, and the absolute dumpster fire that resulted from it. And you know what, this is about to be educational as hell because if people are looking seriously into Wicca, they are bound to come across this name. 
And that's fair, right? And if you are just a pagan and you don't identify as a Wiccan or a witch, cheers, you can tune out now. Please subscribe, like, do whatever you need to do, right? You don't give a crap about Wicca, but you all know you do. You know you want the tea. Everybody knows that they want the tea. The tea right? is pretty hot. I would recommend sticking around to listen to this. And so here's the tea. <laughs> is that in 1973, a guy named Aidan Kelly coined these terms, right? He was an academic. He studied paganism. He decided he was going to write these things, right? I'm going to read to you something that was posted to an online forum in 1995. This is when the internet was young, girl. This is when you had to pay by the minute just to be on it, right? Like, this was like dialing a 1-800 number, but you were addicted because you got to talk to people in the world that you didn't know, and people formed such friendships, right? And there was a, there was a news group called alt.religion.wicca which I don't think still exists, but you can probably find things quoted from it online if you sleuth hard enough. So I'm now going to read to you a statement put out by the high priest who initiated Aidan Kelly into the Gardnerian tradition. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not going to name him. You can figure it out on your own. But he says, I am the high priest who initiated Aidan Kelly into the Gardnerian tradition. I administered the oaths of secrecy, which he swore. I explained the meaning of these oaths to him myself. In my presence, Aiden swore the standard oaths, which forbid him, and this is what we all swear, right, is that you basically can never reveal any of the, like, secrets of, like, initiatory Wicca, like, nothing that's oath-bound. You can't reveal any of that information except it be to another initiate, right? Like, you have to know that if you're going to talk about it, the person has to have already been initiated, right? Aiden was specifically told that this meant that if a version of a Book of Shadows text, meaning any part of the Book of Shadows had been published, then that version could be quoted publicly. And all of the actual texts of the Book of Shadows have not been published, and certainly had not been published in 1995, right? So for example, as an initiate, he writes, as an initiate, I can publicly quote any of the multitudinous versions of the Charge of the Goddess, because there's like seven bazillion versions of the Charge of the Goddess out there. It's one of the most seminal Wiccan texts, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful. Literally, everybody should know it. Everybody should have it read, and like everybody should memorize it. It's wonderful, right? So he says, so, so this high priest says, I can publicly quote any of the multitudinous versions of the charge of the goddess, except the version in the Book of Shadows. You just don't quote from the BOS at all, right? So he, this high priest goes on to write, unpublished BOS material and oral tradition slash instruction was specifically protected. Aiden broke this oath and published explanatory material from the BOS and Gardnerian oral tradition. Aiden Kelly is an oath breaker. He goes on to say, Aiden also swore in my presence with his full consent an additional oath forbidden him, forbidding him from publishing any Gardnerian material to which he gained access to as a result of becoming an initiate. The specific intent, as we explained, was that we would not forbid him from republishing his dissertation. So this is a guy who was like becoming a PhD, right? He, was, he had already published his dissertation and maybe it had some oath-bound stuff that he found on the internet or he found through people or whatever. Like, that's fair, that's fine. Study as much as you can get. We get it. Right? And that work was done before swearing any oaths. But Aiden broke this oath and in updating his dissertation, published traditional material that his high priest and others gave him an absolute traditional confidence. So it's like, all right, I already published the charge of the goddess as part of my dissertation. That's fine. That's fair. It's in literally every BOS. It's one of the like most well-known pieces that the cat is out of the bag. Like not even we're going to try to pretend that we know nothing about that. But literally, they gave him additional information because he did the whole seeker thing. He became an initiate. He wanted to be an initiate. He wanted to practice the religion. And they taught him what you're supposed to teach the, the students, what you're supposed to teach initiates. 
And then he went and he updated his dissertation with even more information that he had learned to be submitted to like, you know, a, a review board of like PhDs and then to be published and probably put in like the Library of Congress. So he broke his oath in updating the dissertation, including published traditional material that other people gave him an absolute traditional confidence. And his initiator goes on to say, Aidan Kelly, again, is an oath breaker. Additionally, the oath is interpreted. So the oath that we all take, right? The oath is interpreted by everyone. This is, there are very few things that every Gardnerian agrees on. Very few, precious few. And like the debates and the fights and all the shit go on forever about what it is that we all have in common. But the one thing that we all acknowledge, the one thing that we all recognize, and it was explained to Aidan Kelly at the time, is that we are forbidden from exposing any closeted witch. And we are forbidden from exposing the identity of any witch, period, to anyone, whether they're closeted or not. Right? If somebody has a book published and they're a known Gardnerian, I'm technically, while standing next to them at their own book signing, not supposed to be like, hey, that lady's a Gardnerian. You're just not supposed to do that. Are they going to care? No. If you're at a book signing for their Gardnerian book where they identify as a Gardnerian author, cool. But you're never supposed to out anyone else. And so when it comes to people who are not out, you absolutely should not out them in any way, shape, or form, right? So his high priest says, Aiden broke this oath in publishing the names and home addresses of witches given to him in the strictest confidence, information that had never before been published, exposing these individuals to financial and physical danger. And this is true. There were people who in like the 80s, or maybe it was the 70s, I don't know, lived in the Bible Belt and suddenly were outed with their names and their addresses as witches in a publication. And they had to move. People got like death threats. People got like harassed. It was like bad, right? Because when the Bible Belt finds out that there's a witch in the neighborhood, you can imagine what happens in 1980 or 1990. I just don't understand. Like what, what's first, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with this, but like why, why the home addresses? Like, what was he hoping to get from that? Because in order for your dissertation, in order for your academic text to be, like, valid, you have to have studied actual human beings. Oh, that's true. You can't be like Gerald Gardner, who had no fucking real degree, and be like, the witches I talked to said this, and this is what the witches do, and that's what the witches do, and never name them. You, you have to be like, these are my study participants, these are my, like people mm -hmm. that I studied, this is what they did, here are their names and their addresses, I'm studying this community, this religious group, this whatever, this church, temple, like he needed all of this to back up his academic career. And so he, he literally went for it and he just sacrificed the privacy, broke his oath in order to further his academic career, right? And so his initiator writes that it was for this reason that the Covenant of the Goddess, which was a huge organization in the 70s and 80s and 90s, stripped Aiden of his ministerial credentials. Aiden Kelly is an oathbreaker. For these reasons, Aiden Kelly is not welcome in the Gardnerian community. He has been specifically banished from his parent coven. For similar reasons involving secrecy and oathbreaking, he has been ostracized from the Nerug and fairy tradition communities. Nerug is a new reformed Orthodox order of the Golden Dawn, which is basically a Wicca version of the Golden Dawn that Aiden Kelly helped form at a university somewhere. I forget if he was in college or if it was after he was in college or something like that. His own group threw him out because of what he did. Because that's how seriously everyone in the traditional craft community takes the identity of other witches. So then it comes into the question of Aiden Kelly is an oathbreaker. You know, he did all this stuff. So even if there are things online that are quote unquote from him, can you really trust that he's actually putting out whatever he has out there? Can See? you really trust that that's, that's the thing? I mean, yes and no, right? Like, obviously, we have the reasoning behind it. He literally said it offended my sensibilities that they didn't have a special name. And so I grabbed one from literally the middle of nowhere. So like, cheers to that. 
right? That's the kind of scholarship that we're like talking about here. But then B, when you're looking at the source of this thing, it's like, do you actually want to perpetuate something that was done, created, like conceptualized by somebody who went on to damage almost irreparably the craft community? Yeah, the answer to that is no. That's, that's a decision for everyone to make. And I don't know him. I've never met him. I was born in 1981, right? So in 1973, I was not in existence. All I have is what I have to go on based on the information I've learned through the community, but also the information that I've learned online and through researching witchcraft and learning as much about traditional Wicca as I can, right? And luckily I have access to these really old records of what went down back in the day, literally before I was born. That's what's going on. So you have this two-pronged thing where not only is it bad scholarship, but it was done by a bad, 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 bad scholar. You know, this whole thing is making me think, I, I just posted an episode with, with Thor the other day, and we talk a little bit about how if anything were to ever get published online, that's personal or like part of an initiatory tradition, that does not translate to how it is in person. It's completely night and day. Correct. So people can read about whatever they find on the internet. Some of it might be true. Some of it might be totally fake. We're not going to confirm or deny any of it. And But either way, it's just important to know that whatever you're seeing on the internet is not going to translate the same way in person. So it, it almost doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what's on there. Right. I could, I could hand you two pages of a Gardnerian ritual and you could do it to a T. Will you understand it? No. Will you understand why you're doing certain things? No. Will you understand what else you're supposed to do while you're doing those certain things? No. Will it look Gardnerian? No. Will it feel Gardnerian? No. Is it Gardnerian on paper? Yes. But that's it. Right? The spirit of the craft comes from the witches that practice it and the way that we're trained by each other. And that's, you know, a lot of what people are missing. And beautiful things have happened from information about traditional craft that have gotten out into the public and people have glommed onto it because they didn't have access to initiatory witchcraft and they have just rolled with it and created their own bootstrap traditions. And that's fucking beautiful. Right? But they're still saying Mabon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're still saying Mabon. Because they don't know and we want them to know. This is one of the secrets of the craft that we're willing to release, girl. Hot off the presses from 1973. It is 2020. Okay, it is the end of the world. And we want you to know before we all die that this is garbage. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So I'm hoping that people listening to this episode will hopefully listen to it before they start celebrating Mabon, or hopefully the autumn equinox. But even if it's after... I just hope this sticks with some people. I hope at least one person just takes something from this and starts calling it the equinox or just yeah. autumn. But also, if you're going to double down and be like, I don't care, tits, good for you. But you better not care after knowing the whole story. If you hear the whole story and you still don't give a shit, amen, America, it is 2020, live your life, right? But it's these people that don't know, that have no idea. You know, and they're like, people hate change. People don't want to change. Well, I learned it as Maven and it's in this book. And so I'm not going to question that. And it's like, honey, a human being wrote that book probably in like 2011. Like they don't know either. Right. This is like one of those things that has been perpetuated for a long time. And if you're going to go with it, go with it full well knowing that you're riding dirty with a whole bunch of horse shit, but celebrate that shit. Yeah. I think every single book that I have on witchcraft that was not written in by some founder of some tradition or whatever every single book all my calendars my witch's date book everything says Mabon or Mabon 
nothing. So I was just regular the autumn. Yeah, not that's a single it's, thing. It's because he was a prolific writer and he was in Green Egg magazine in like the 70s and he was using this term. And also people like cool terms for things. They like knowing like the secret name for the Equinox or like the additional or the official name for the Equinox, which turns out was garbage. You know what you should do is if you ever come across a publication or a book or anything like that that actually calls it Autumn Equinox and doesn't call it Mabon, pay attention. That person knows what the fuck they're talking about. And you know, this brings up another good point about the craft. Question everything. 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 Because this this phrase has gone on for so long without people even batting an eye to it that, you know, it, it just it just drives on the point that every single thing that you're doing, question it. It doesn't matter if you are in your mind like the most advanced practitioner that there is or whatever. Just question things and it's fine. And also, again, if you want to use Mabon and you're fine with it, even after knowing this story, just also be prepared for people like Seamus, who will probably come at you in the group and be like, hey, no, that's not the word. Listen, I'm not going to come at anyone directly. I'm just going to leave a comment that says that, you know, I like to not walk into a puddle full of shit and I call it the autumn equinox. And then a bunch of people are going to get mad at me and tell me that I'm being rude. And I'm going to be like, I'm rude for a cause. I'm basically Robin Hood. <laughs> he, he might be seeming rude, but he, he means well. Mostly. Mostly. That's true. Do you have any final words about anything? Uh, no, I'm just super excited that a lot of people are listening to a podcast about seeking witchcraft. I was literally in your shoes a long ass time ago, and I miss those days. Everything was still so fucking magical. Everything was still shiny. Enjoy it, you guys. Enjoy the shit out of it. Because this is, you're in the golden years of your witchcraft right now. Shit can get gnarly, shit will get weird, shit will get real, and shit will get different, and you will, you know, be grateful for all of that. But right now, everything is sparkling, and you should live the shit out of it. Yeah, I've definitely had some moments where I'm like, oh, it's getting real right now. This, this is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but those moments are fun. Uh, one more question. If you could give an absolute beginner one piece of information or advice, what would it be? Read. Read as much as you humanly can. Read as much as you possibly can. And as soon as you feel like you've read enough, keep reading. What you want to do is you want to keep reading and you want to look for the conflicting information across multiple sources and be like, everyone seems to agree on this thing. Shocker, they all agree on Maven, but it's garbage. But also, eventually, you're going to see that like, oh, this author says this about this thing and this author says something different about it. Which one's real? And when you start to know enough, when you've read enough, and literally you have to read. Don't just listen to, I mean, this podcast is amazing. But like, you know, read, literally read. You have to read in addition to everything you're doing. When you're, when you, when you're well, well read enough to be able to spot the inconsistencies or the conflicting information, that's where your critical reading skills are going to come in. And that's where you need to start asking questions. And that's where you need to question your peers, question people and ask them what's going on here. You know, and some of them are very cut and dry, very obvious. And other things are like, well, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What do you think? Right? You're going to have to make up your mind. Don't blindly believe everything that you read. Look for the things that kind of don't make enough sense or that people disagree on because that's where you're going to do the most learning. If you're you're possibly here thinking, well, I don't have any peers I could talk to you about this. Yo, it is 2020. There yes, are so many do. groups on Facebook. Yes, make a, if, and if you're in the broom closet, don't want people to know, make a fake Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Post on that. What, uh, just piggybacking off that uh, question, is there a book that you would recommend for people to read? Oh God, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> Aside from Thor Mooney's book. <laughs> yeah, obviously Thor Mooney's book. Um, but it, it really just depends on where on your journey you are. Have you read five books? Have you read 10 books? Have you read 15 books? Have you read 20 books? 
someone who's read two books, I'm going to recommend some really basic stuff. And somebody who's read 20 books, I'm going to be like, good, time to get into the meat and potatoes. Right? So when you're coming in and you're reading Scott Cunningham and you're reading Silver Ravenwolf, that's when you're reading a couple books and you're new and you like these concepts, right? When you really want to get into it, you start reading like Deborah Lit, right? You start reading the elements of ritual. You start really questioning of ritual construction. When you've read like, you know, 15, 20 books, 30 books, whatever, over how many months or years that takes you and then you just really get into it you start going straight to the sources right you read the witch's bible by janet and stuart farr you read basically everything janet and stuart farr have written right you read gerald gardner you read dorian valiente you read patricia crowther you read you know lois born you read all of these like known initiates anything that's written by a known initiate that you want to know about and i'm just i'm speaking about wicca you guys i'm sorry anyone who's not interested in wicca and who's here for traditional witchcraft good luck to you but yeah, when it comes to Wicca, read, like you go from reading the broad, the general, from eclectic stuff, then you get a little bit more specific. And some eclectic people are wildly popular, insightful, amazing witches who could dance circles and circle circles around a couple of traditional initiates, right? But then when you get to the real solid traditional initiates, like Vivian Crowley, oh my God, Vivian Crowley's book, Wicca, The Old Religion and the New Millennium, probably has a slightly updated title because I read it in the 90s. But that is such a great book for anybody who has questions about how to understand, conceptualize Godhead, how to understand the God or the goddess, how to rectify the fact that you're kind of a closet agnostic or an atheist or an out and about closet, like an atheist and agnostic, right? Like how does an atheist work in a coven full of people who are polytheists or like monists or whatever? Like she is a, she was a professor of uh, psychology at the University of London. She gives the most amazing like description of how the thought process within a coven works. You will learn so much by reading books like that. Like these people are like the real salt of the earth that give you incredible insight. Sorry, I know you asked for the book. I give you like oh, no, no, you're fine. I, I read part of uh, Wicca by her, but the version I had, is it's an older version. So if it doesn't have an updated title, I don't know. <laughs> I think it might just be Wicca, the old religion now. Yeah, I'm not sure. But that is, a, uh, that is an interesting book. I would say don't start with the Witch's Bible. Yeah, don't. Uh, please don't start with that book. Uh, it's my favorite. <laughs> Uh, Starting with Wicca for you know by Scott Cunningham, Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner. Um, I've mentioned before uh, the Modern Guide to Witchcraft. If you're interested in that book, I will say when I meant or recommended that book, I was still in my seeker group. I have not picked up that book to relook at it now that I know a little bit more about witchcraft. <laughs> so uh, don't be surprised if in a couple weeks I ever come out with a tweet or something, being like, "Hey, just kidding, read this book instead." I don't recommend that one anymore. Oh my god, it's my favorite. It's so good. Which one? The Witch's Bible. Oh, yeah. Come on. If you are uh, fresh out of college and you have just been forced to read 600 dense academic texts, you can go right into this. It's a breeze. Uh, yeah, I did the opposite with that. I, I finished my master's when I was in my outer court and I was like, I don't want to read right now. I, I'm done. That's, that's <laughs> so I just wrote a thesis. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was looking for the, the easier reads at that point. I was kind of mm -hmm. done with academic texts. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard a lot about, uh, a book by what, Thea, Thea Savin. Thea Savin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have an introductory book. I, I've heard really good things about, so I would recommend that one as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Seamus, for coming on. I appreciate you. And I'm so happy you came back. Uh, maybe I'll have you on in the future. We could talk about empaths because I know that's another hot topic. For God's sakes. <laughs> Can we just call this like opinionated old people going off on the internet? Because that's 100% what that will turn into. Um, I'm not old. Thank you. Okay. No, me. me. I'm the old person here. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the millennial here. So uh, that, that's all you, fam. I'm almost a millennial, but not really. <laughs> 
<laughs> we, we, we can party like a millennial. We've done this. Jesus Christ. Don't be telling people our secrets. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And happy autumn equinox and i will talk to you all very soon bye bye hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus